Luke chapter 1, verses 31, 32, and 33. And it says the following, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for a wonderful, beautiful Sunday morning. As we draw toward Christmas, Father, our hearts are brought to the reality that there are some who have very little. That to some, Father, Christmas is a sad reminder of loved ones who have left for eternity. Of the reality, Father, that they have very little. Perhaps they feel unloved, unwanted. And yet, Father, the story of Christmas is about a God who owned it all, created it all, has it all, choosing to come in a very, very meekful way into this world to proclaim to everyone of his great love. And Father, may we take the opportunities granted to share that love with others. Thank you. I thank you for the passionate love that you put into the hearts of all of your children. They all wish to help. They all wish to be involved. They all wish to somehow make a difference. For that, Father, I say thank you. Because when you come into our lives, we are never left the same. That's why a needy family becomes important. A homeless man becomes important. A sick person, someone unable to enjoy the time, the season, becomes important. Because you've put passion in our hearts. And I pray that you will continue to use each one of us in many ways in the lives of many people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what child's life, I ask you, what child's life, destiny, impact, can be specifically and accurately described before the child has ever been conceived? None. His nature, his character, his life, his accomplishments, his effect, clearly laid out before he was ever born. None. As the gospel story unfolds in the intervention of heaven on what we would see a grand scale there is simplicity a stable yet there is this supernatural effect that goes with it all 
It had been over 500 years since the last time a miracle was recorded. It had been over 400 years since an angel had spoken to man. It had been 400 years since God last spoke to the Hebrews. As the New Testament begins, there is a flurry of supernatural activity that is seen and sensed as you read. God tells us in the opening words of the Gospels things that only he could know. First of all, there's an angel named Gabriel who comes to a man named Zacharias, to a woman named Elizabeth. She's barren, tells her she's going to have a boy, tells him she's going to call him John and that he's going to fulfill prophecy. I don't know about you, but I think he did right in a human sense to say, what you say? Who, me? My wife? And the angel kind of gets a little ticked at him and says, you know what, you're not going to talk until that baby's born. Show you. Six months later, that same angel, Gabriel, comes to a place called Galilee. Not the most of the Jewish states. A town called Nazareth to a home in which there is a, a virgin, young woman named Mary, a spout engaged to a young man named Joseph. And the angel says that she is favored by God. And says that God will be with her in a way in that she's about to conceive. And I read those verses to you, verses 31 to 32. And you know, what just, as I was reading those verses, what jumped out at me is verse 32. Because as the angel speaks to her, he says to her, he will be great. He will be great. And I thought, yeah, he is. He is great. He's been great to me. And so I sort of just kind of stopped and looked at the verses right there, right around there, and said, does he describe his greatness? He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of his father David. Great. The word means glorious. Rightly so. In John, uh, uh, excuse me, there is John the Baptist. And of him it says that uh, he would be great in the sight of God. It, that, that's imputed greatness. In, in other words, God would sort of look upon him and credit him with greatness. But of Jesus, it just simply states, he will be great. That is unqualified greatness. It isn't something that God does for Jesus. It is something essential to his nature. Great. He will be great. You know, that greatness of Jesus was unfolded as his life developed. It was greatness that they saw when he heard, they heard him teach. For he was unlike anyone, any teacher that they had ever heard. No man spoke as this man speaks, they said. No man ever taught 
with the authority with which he teaches. They said, no man ever had the insight, the divine knowledge, the truth from God to be to the degree that this man had. It was seen right from the age of 12. As he was found to be standing among the elders of the temple. His miracles attest to his greatness. His miracles of raising the dead, providing food for multitudes, walking on water, healing authority over kingdoms of darkness, casting out demons. He raised himself from the dead. He with his own power shattered the bonds of death and the grave and came forth to life. This is greatness. This is the greatness of the greatest child ever born. Angels, miracles, revelations, prophecies, all speak of God invading normal human history in a monumental way. The great truth of the New Testament begins to unfold in a dramatic way. So what is it that defines his greatness? As I looked at those verses around, it was so clear. It's just, it's right there. What is it that makes him great? Well, the first thing is, he is God. He is God. In verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Jewish expression relating to God, I'll explain in one second. Verse 35, he shall be called the Son of God. In Genesis 14, 18, we have that first expression, the idea of most high, El Elyon, God, most high. There is no one higher than he, and this is his son. A title over everything, all people, all creatures, all good, all evil, all that exists. He's sovereign over all things. And this little baby is the son of the most sovereign high God. He is great. Jesus bears the same essence as God. I and my father, son, he says. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of God's glory. The exact reproduction of God's nature. Verse 3 says that. The Gospel of John perhaps is the clearest in explaining to us the nature of Jesus. John calls him the Lord, the Kurios, the Lord of the Sabbath. He said that he and his Father are one. He said that any man who knows him knows the Father. He said that anyone who honors Him honors the Father. He said that if you see Him, you see the Father. And in John chapter 8, verse 5, this is what He said of Himself, that He was equal in power, equal in authority, equal in judgment, equal in works, equal in honor with God the Father. In every sense, Jesus is God. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angels clung out in that chorus of, of Christmas. Today in the city of David is born a Savior, Christ 
the Lord. To Joseph the angel said, the child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. In 1 Timothy 3.16, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And folks, that message is at the heart of Christianity. Jesus, the child, is God. On two occasions, in two different situations, the people to whom he spoke, taught, and did miracles in front of, they understood he was God. The ones who hated him understood he was God. I want to understand, but I can't, why today we can't seem to grasp that. How many times people say, well, he was a prophet. Well, yeah, he was the son of God. Well, yeah, he, oh, but he, he couldn't have been God. And yet the people that he walked among that hated him, they declared that he was God. In John chapter 10, I'll give you one. They want to stone him. And he asked them, well, for what good work are you wanting to stone me? What is it that I've done that you like that is worth stoning? And this is what they answered. For blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They knew he was God. They understood he was saying that he was God. And yet we argue that. He healed the man. But before he did that, he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And the crowd, the, the religious people in the crowd began to murmur, who is this man to think of all around forgiving sins? Only God can forgive sins. He knew that. So you know what he did? He said, well, so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins. He looked at the man and said, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And it says that from that point on, they began to conspire to kill him because he, being a man, made himself out to be God. I guess it's because now we are intellectuals. And now we can intellectually uh, avoid what they seem to see clearly, that he said that he was God. Number two, he's a man. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, verse 31 says. Verse 27 said that a virgin would have a child, and she then affirms her virginity in verse 34 by speaking back to the angel and saying to him, How can this be since I am a virgin? I haven't been with man. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The conception was supernatural. Angels, prophecies, lights. The rest followed the normal course of life. Normal nine months, normal birth. This is truly a man. Human. Mary actually had other children. Most people don't understand that because it's sort of covered with the tradition of religiosity. 
But scripture tells us in John chapter 7, he had brothers. By the way, they didn't believe. They just didn't believe his teachings. Well, I, I, I don't blame them. I mean, it's bad enough to have an older brother who never gets in trouble, always does the right things. And then on top he comes around and says, without me, you're going to hell. Sure, I mean, I'm sure that would confuse any brother, any sibling. I got you. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, they give us Mary, and, they, and then they name all of his brothers. By name, all of his brothers. And then the writer concludes, and his sisters are with us. It was a normal childhood. A normal development. He was a man. He was in the womb nine months. Eight days later, after birth, he circumcised just like any other Jewish boy. And that's why Galatians tells us that he was born of a woman, born under the law, because his parents wanted him to be a child of the law. He was normal. He grew, says Luke 2.40. He grew intellectually, physically, growing spiritually, growing socially. And that is why Hebrews tells us that he can be a sympathetic high priest. He was in all points tempted as we are. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it means to be human. And he was born just like everybody else is born. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says that he is made, was made like his brethren in all things to be a substitute for us. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was overcome with fatigue, he slept, he was taught, he grew, he loved, he was astonished. He was glad, he was angry, he was indignant, he was sarcastic in some of his teaching. He was grieved, he was a man who read scripture. He prayed, he sighed at the sight of illness, he cried, he felt the way we feel. He felt physical pain, physical hunger. He bled. He suffered. He died. He was one of us. He was God. He was a man. Verse 35 says he was sinless, holy, holy child. Verse 35, the holy child ladies. I know you think you have a great son or daughter. I know you think you have the best and you should. That's your job. I think mine's are the best. But may we all hit the realistic state of life in which we agree we've never had any of these. We've never had a holy child. There was only one holy child. You've never had a holy child. What, what is meant with holy child? Well, it's, um, uh, he never, never a moment of unhappiness did he cause. Never a wrong thought, never a bad attitude, never an unkind word, never an act of disrespect, never a disobedient motion or movement, never a wrong attitude, never a thoughtlessness, 
act of unkindness, a selfish act. He was holy. I don't have any of those at home. Do you? I don't think so. But as you look at your own child, and as you feel in your innermost heart, your child's fretfulness, quarrelsomeness, rudeness, sulkiness, impulsiveness, pride, anger, unbroken will, rebellion, disrespect, you know you don't have a holy child. And the challenge as parents, as grandparents, begins with prayer. We pray, we passionately pray and relentlessly pray that our children, that our grandchildren may become holy. Pray without ceasing that they may be justified, sanctified. But this, this was a holy child. No need for discipline. No need for correction, no need for forgiveness, no need for restoration, no need of a Savior. There's only been one like this. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, Him who knew no sin. Hebrews 7, He was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separated from sinners. Hebrews 4, He was without sin. And folks, The Lord Jesus, listen to this, the Lord Jesus, He began where we will end. Let me explain. He began where we will end. He entered this world holy. He entered this world holy. We won't know that holiness until we exit this world. He began where we will end. He was God. He was man. He was sinless. He was holy. He is the sovereign Lord. Look at verse 32. It says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign, verse 33, over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He will not only rule Israel, but he will have rule over all. He will be king over all. In Matthew 1, we are told the genealogy of Joseph. In Luke 3, we are told the genealogy of Mary. And from both, there is the descendancy of David. He receives royal blood from his mother and the right to rule from his stepfather. The Magi that came from the east, they came looking for a sovereign, for a ruler, for a king, a great king. A king that would be king not only over Israel, but over all the world. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is told that his descendancy would sit upon the throne, and that of his descendancy there would be one who would sit upon the throne forever. Jesus came to fulfill, to fill and fulfill that throne of his father David. He will have a spiritual kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and an eternal kingdom. He had royal blood. He also had authority from God to rule, and in the appropriate time, he will be the king of a renewed universe. Pilate asked him, Are you a king? And he said, You said it. I am a king. 
And you don't understand because my kingdom is not of this world. This is no ordinary child. He is God. He is man. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is great. Our last point. Verse 31. He is a Savior. You will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew 1.21 The angel says to Joseph, You will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Hebrew word Jehovah saves. Yahshua. Today in the city of David there has been born for you a Yahshua, a Savior. That's the same word. Be my example. Yes. Be my bridegroom. Yes. My friend. Yes. Yes, everything besides and everything in the middle. But first and last and best. Be thou my Savior. I can stand back and admire God in human flesh. I can stand back and admire the perfect man, Jesus. I can stand back and admire the sinless, holy one. I can admire him for his sovereign kingship. But the only way I can ever know him is if he will forgive my sins and be my savior. He came to do just that. In Luke 2.28, there's a, a little event, almost obscure. An old man, perhaps a prophet, waiting. It's as if he knew that he would get a chance to see. And when they brought Jesus to the temple, he looked at him and he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. Well, that means I can die now. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon was saying with this, he's the Savior of Israel. He's the Savior of the world. Well, it's the sum of it all, an astonishing announcement, I think. There will be a child, <laughs> a virgin-born child, a God, a man, a sinless one, a sovereign one, a savior. That's the child that the angel called great. I hope, I pray that you agree with me that he is great. I hope you agree with Scripture that He is great. Because the amazing opening in the Gospels, the declaration of the one who was born, both Elizabeth and Zechariah were amazed, Joseph was amazed, the wise men were amazed, the shepherds were amazed, the innkeeper must have been amazed at all the racket in his innkeeping place. But most of all, folks, I am amazed. I am amazed. Because if they had a reason to be amazed, we have more reason 
to be amazed, don't we? We have the fullness of the revelation of the greatness of the child. At some point, that amazement must turn to faith in which we embrace him as the God-man. Sinless Savior who will someday be the sovereign king of the universe. And I trust that you know him most of all as your Savior. Enjoy Christmas. Share Christmas. Be Christmas to somebody. But above all, understand the why of Christmas. You see, Christmas was to explain to us an event. That God would visit us in a great manner. To be a great God, to be a great man. A great sinless one, a great sovereign. But folks, above all, a great Savior. Make this Christmas the first of many. In which you understand his greatness. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Father, Christmas brings within us, Lord, a lot of feelings, emotions. We miss our loved ones who are far. We cry out for those in need. We look at the marketing of this season. And to some of us, Father, it just hurts us to see how they've pushed away the reason for Christmas and replaced it with colors and lights and a jolly old man. It's about greatness. It's about your revelation of greatness to us, to mankind. It's about the explanation of a verse that says that you so love the world that you came to it in greatness. Help us, Father, to be light in the midst of the dark world in which we live. And I pray, Father, that everyone in this room knows you above all as a Savior. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.